Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I hope, thanks for coming. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> uh, it is a good morning. I hope you guys are doing all well, and, and maybe you enjoyed watching the fireworks from the fairgrounds last night. It was just kind of fun to be able to do that and uh, celebrate our nation's independence. Um, it's kind of interesting. Nick's going to be speaking today, and he'll be showing a video, but I think you know, as we, as we get started today, probably just regardless of the kind of craziness that's going on in the world, we still have so much to be thankful for, you know, and just being able to focus on that and God's goodness um, as we roll into the 4th of July tomorrow. So I hope you guys have a great day tomorrow as you're doing that, and would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do thank you um, that we get to celebrate our nation's independence it is because of you that we get to do this. Um, this nation that was founded on biblical principles, on your word. And Lord, we do need to get back to that. Um, maybe for some of us, today would be the day that we would come to that understanding of, of all the changes that have taken place and how our true freedom comes through, comes through you. Um, and just knowing you and, and the salvation that only you can offer through your son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for today's message. Just as we prepare our hearts, just help us to settle our minds so we can hear clearly from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy 4th. My name is Nick, if those of you don't know me. And I love being a part of this stuff. Um, so thank you for being here, being a part of it with us today. What a, what a treat. We've been going through the, a series called Acting Out, where we're not necessarily acting out like a little kid would act out, which I'm also extremely good at. My kids and wife will tell you. Most of you could probably tell me that too. But the, being a part of acting out as, as a Christian was, as, as we have defined it throughout this whole series, as Jesus would in our lives, during our trials, during our victories, our failures, our relationships with others, in action, thought, and in words. This has been neat. And today we look at how it, the gospel has spread to Western culture, how people have acted out as Jesus would through history into the Americas, into the United States, and throughout the history of the USA. Because we all know freedom was not free. It still is not free. It has been won on the backs of people who are willing to lay their lives down, to leave families, to leave their well-being, to fight for our freedom. Our freedom from sin was not free at all. It was paid for by God, by Jesus, who was willing to lay his life down for us. This is really amazing. And the founding fathers seemed to think it was important to follow suit to project what Jesus had done. And as they were coming here, and here they were in the Americas, they thought it was important to set up a government that protected the truth that they saw as self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator, endowed by God, with certain unalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They saw these things as gifts from God that should not be governed or restricted but protected by the government. So the, 
Their purpose was not to show themselves. This is important, and this is something I think we forget and lose touch of. Their purpose was not to create a government that would honor themselves. It was not to create a government that they would be the leader of some big, great nation, and they would be remembered forever as the guys who signed the Declaration of Independence. No, because by signing that Declaration of Independence, they were putting a target on their heads. They were asking England to come after them. So their purpose was not to do that. Their purpose was to show something that they saw as true, was, some, was to set up this government that, that was meant to honor God. And many people will point out how these guys weren't perfect, how some of them were, were well known to be maybe not our favorite people. And we'll point out some of the funny, ugly, crazy things they did. And you know what's funny? These guys, as they got together in that room, they didn't get together in a room to establish a government that, that they wanted. They didn't get together to fight each other and to slander each other and drag each other through the mud. They got together to be united, to do something real, something bigger. You know, it's funny. They're, they're detractors, the people who, who now maybe are saying they were the worst ever. Let's throw out everything they did. They didn't take a moment to bash those people. They wanted to set something up that was different, something that was, that was bigger than them. And the attack on these men, these men are long gone, is not on them specifically. It's on the image. It is on what they were doing, the gospel of Jesus. Their attack is on how they were taking the gospel. They were taking truths that were self-evident and establishing a nation on that. And those or what's under attack right now. Because these guys, their mission, their goal was to be a projector. Does anybody know what a projector looks like? There it is. If you've been to a movie, um, maybe, I don't know what they use now, but like 100 years ago, not that long ago, I got in trouble last night. Somebody thought I was making a, a, an old joke, and I wasn't. But anyway, um, a projector. What is a pro- you, you don't see a projector. If you've gone to a movie, you've seen a wonderful movie. You've seen all these images strung together, and, it, and it's a beautiful deal sometimes. And it, it's fun, it's entertaining, but you don't see the projector. These men who set up the Constitution, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, who signed it, who put their lives on it, their goal was not for you to see them and all their imperfections and ugly. Their goal was to project and show Jesus which is, whoa, they, they saw this, they, they, the gospel had reached them, and their goal was to shine like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. They didn't want to be seen as they were the guys. They wanted to do something that honored and glorified God, even though people were dragging them through the mud, even though they had to fight to do it, and, and we're still doing that today. But that didn't stop them from acting out and risking their lives to establish this document. They had no promise. They were weak compared to England. They were nothing. They were easily going to be crushed. But that didn't stop them from signing that piece of paper as they were setting something up based on what they saw as self-evident from God because they knew it was the truth and they felt and they knew everybody could know the truth about God because he made it obvious to us for ever since the world was created people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made 
we can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Did you see that that verse was written here in the Declaration of Independence when they talk about what they saw as self-evident? These things, these truths are self-evident as we look at the world around us. And Patrick Henry, he wrote this just to make sure there wasn't any confusion. He said, it can't be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by religions or denominations, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that reason alone, people of other faiths have been afforded freedom of worship here. When they got together in that room, they didn't get together in that room to talk about their opinions, their preferences, and setting up a nation. They didn't want to set it up on denominations, or there would be no united nation. They were going for something much bigger and better. They were counting on something much bigger and better. They were counting on the gospel, which had spread to them which was here, which was there. And they set up a constitution based on the gospel, the freedom of the gospel. And, and what does that do? Because with the gospel, with what Jesus did, he came with grace and love and humility. And what did he do? He laid down his life for us. So as we set up a, a government based on that, we're going to leave ourselves open to be drugged through the mud. And in fact, the second president of the United States, he said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So as you reject morals, as you reject what it was founded on, it, was, it won't work as well. They founded this like on grace, charity, and a willingness to lay down your life for what they found, for what they saw to be true. A willingness to lay down your life. William Bradford, he was one of the guys, he was the governor, I think, of, of Plymouth. That was the colony that was with the Mayflower. So the guys who were, they were just trying to get away from the Church of England, which was, which was torturing and beating them up for for trying to pursue and follow God and not falling in line with the Church of England. These guys, they tried Amsterdam, they tried other places, and they finally came over. And William Bradford was, was their governor for a long time. And one of the things he said, which I thought was, was just it's wonderful, was we are laying down in the mud, face down, so that others can walk on our backs to the next step. Look at the, look at the motive the, the drive behind these guys is they tried to emulate and project Jesus. There are more examples like this that we're going to keep talking about, so I hope you're really excited because nothing about this was easy. Nothing about freedom is easy. As the colonists first came over, this is way before 1776, there was a hard life. In Jamestown, that's the, the Virginia colony there, 80% of their settlers died in the first year. 80% due to disease and starvation. In Plymouth, more than half died. They, these were, and you get Plymouth, you have Georgia, you had South Carolina, you had North Carolina, you had Massachusetts, and, and all of these different, different versions and flavors of people coming over for different reasons, whether it was to, to flee the Church of England or to set up a whole new life, to make money, to spread, to, 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 to do whatever it was they were wanting to do. Um, you had this huge melting pot, an eclectic group of people, and they struggled. 
And, but they, they did start to succeed. They did start to settle in. And their plantations were being successful, and they were finding better ways to have better relations with the Indians. They were, they were dealing with the, the disease, and they were, making, they were learning how to make a living. They were learning how to be established. And, and you start to get a much better life in this whole new world. But it wasn't pretty always. We have some ugly stories, ugly things going on. But something else that was recorded in history, this, is a, these are, this was historically recorded. It, it was big enough and important enough. It was the, the Great Awakening, uh, a, a spiritual revival that happened from 1734 to 1743. And in describing what happened, this guy named Jonathan Edwards, who was running a church in Massachusetts, he, he had a quote that kind of defines revival, I, I thought, really, really well. He said, it pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. 1734 is is when this was written about 40 years before the Declaration of Independence, what his definition there was, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity, that was the state prior, to a lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. And this went on for about 10 years as as works of God went through and just changed the whole deal. This was recorded in history, a major event of, of God showing up and spreading through people's lives and hearts, and it changed the colonies. It, it, was, it is a part of our history. The, the next slide shows on the, on the left side, those are, I know you can't read this. I'm really sorry about that. I got way carried away, but that's okay. It's nothing new. Left side is different revivals and spiritual awakenings that happened from 1734 all the way to 1995. I didn't catch all of them. There were plenty. I just had to pick some. And on the right side, we see different events that have happened throughout history. The Declaration of Independence, the Louisiana Purchase, Abraham Lincoln being elected president, the Civil War, when we fought ourselves destroying each other, the Great Depression, the Roaring Twenties, the struggle for civil rights, all of these things that that are real events that affected our country, and then also these other spiritual revivals that have also affected and shaped our country. You know, it is just so neat to look back at history. I'm not usually a history guy, but I have enjoyed so much looking through our history and going back to some of what what I thought I learned in school. But to see the work of God come alive in the people and them start to act on it, start to act out on it and see what happens. We know Patrick Henry, he, he's, he's famous for saying, give me liberty or give me death. But we often skip part of that quote. Um, it often gets cut out of books, but this was neat. This is 1776 time frame. He said, an appeal to arms and the God of hosts is all that is left us. But we shall not fight our battle alone. There is a just God that presides over the destinies of the nations. The battle is not for the strong alone. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. 
It, these, are the, these are the hearts of the people who started the whole thing. Do you see how submission to God, trying to follow God and pursue God, there is a just God that presides over the destinies of nations. That's what he said. He said, it is in God's hands. But as for us, as we try to do what we're supposed to do, here we go. <laughs> the Civil War is another example of, of just, wow, why? What were we thinking? You know, President Lincoln was just elected president, and we enter into a civil war. How do you think he felt about that? You know, I, all right, I'm the president now, and what? You guys, he knew this was coming, but all of a sudden everybody splits and starts fighting each other. You know, that's probably how it feels today, huh? But when President Lincoln went through his first presidency, he got elected to a second presidency. In the Civil War, we know it was ugly, it was bloody, it was mean. Brother against brother sometimes, as, as the southern states wanted to, to, to not be a part of the northern states. But when he had a chance at his, in his inauguration address, he had a chance to, to talk and to speak, and he had everyone's attention. What did he do with that opportunity, I wonder? For Abraham Lincoln, was it about him and, and bashing the other side? That's what we would do. That's what we would see today. Or was it about something different? Did Abraham Lincoln have something different going on? You know, but right before he was elected, somebody said, um, Abraham Lincoln, do you think that God's on your side or do you think God's on the other side? And Abraham responded with, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Whoa, thank you for that amen. It's not about God being on our side. Listen to his heart there. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I've done. It's not about me being right. But my greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And then when he addressed the nation in the middle of the Civil War, right after his, his second re-election, he did not take the opportunity to, to slander and destroy one side and talk about how he was right. I'm just going to pull a few sections out of this to, to call out here. He said, It might seem strange that any man should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. That first line there is saying, it might seem strange that we would, would find slaves and make them work for us and force them to work for us and then make money and eat off of that while we don't do anything. That might seem strange to us, but let us judge not that we be not judged. Wow, that's different. And then he calls out, the Almighty God has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom they come. If we shall suppose now that American slavery is one of those offenses, which in the providence of God must come, he has given it to both the North and the South, this terrible war, as the woe due to those by whom the offenses come. And then at the end, he finishes with, Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. He talks about how, the, like, if slavery is one of these offenses, this punishment is 
catching both of us. We're, both, we're in this together. We are part of this. But he does not drag anybody through the mud. Instead, he turns to God. Finally, do we hope fervently, do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away? And he ended it with this statement, which I, had to put on, I wanted to put on its own because it is amazing to see the heart, the purpose behind a leader who is here, once again, not for his own deal, but to, but to show and to project God with malice toward none. So after he wrote that part we just read, he, he finished with this. With malice towards none, with charity for all, and firmness in the right, as God shows us what is right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, to care for his widow, to care for his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish, cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. He did not say, let us only care for the North's widows and orphans. He said, let us come back together in peace with all nations because it's not about them. Lincoln was, was using scripture here. He was summarizing and paraphrasing scripture when he, when he talked about how if this is punishment from God for our sins, he knew this. If you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. But then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face. Remember he said, fervently we do pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Turn from their wicked ways. His speech was about coming together. His speech was about sharing the burden of this war and sharing the burden of making peace and unity. It's, this is the 16th president. They started it with an idea of projecting and loving and honoring God. And then we see the 16th president continuing on this. And we, and we also had recorded on that list of awakenings and revivals of the Civil War revival. It happened not long after this. But So as the leader of a nation, and a desire not to be tops or right, but with a desire to be on God's side, he led this way. And 41 days later, he was assassinated. What, after that speech that he made, he was assassinated. He was killed because... Some didn't like what he was doing as he was pursuing God, as he was obeying God. Why would you want to do that? There's a, there's a story in the Bible, and I'm just going to summarize it very quickly as a parable, a story Jesus told as he was trying to get a point across. He, he tells a story about a, a, a guy who creates a vineyard, creates a farm, and that's a lot of work. He puts fence posts around it. He puts guard posts. He puts a, vin he puts a wine press. He, he, everything you need. He says, hey guys, it's all there. Go work it. So these guys go and work it, and, and he comes back and he says, hey, can I have, I'm ready for my half, my share, and he sends one of his messengers, and they're like, no, no, this is ours now. No, we're, we're here. We work this. We own this. We're part of this. We did this. You can't have it, and so they beat up his servant, and he sends more servants, and, and they, they kill some of his servants. Then he says, okay, okay, I'm going to send my son. They'll respect my son. They'll know I mean business. And then they, they say, here comes his son. Let's kill his son, and then we'll have it for ourselves. What do you, Jesus asked him, what do you think that landowner is going to do when he comes back and finds those people? 
I told this story the other day, and we were, we were talking about this story the other day, and somebody said, was looking at me like I was a dummy, and I'm used to that. They were looking at me very weird, and that's nothing new. But then he, what he said I thought was so cool. Why would they think that killing his son would be a good idea? Why would they think that killing his son would mean that he would all of a sudden give them the vineyard? Unless maybe they thought the owner was powerless or out of touch or would somehow agree, oh, that was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that was a good idea what you did there. Kill my son. Yeah, you can have it. Why else would they have done it? It doesn't make any sense. Now, the founding of our country was hard work. People were, people were put in the effort, the sweat, the tears, the blood, and the results were great. What a great nation. We loaned, we aided to countries all over the world. Our education has been among the best at times, and our universities top-notch. We've enjoyed a great period of success, but what have we done with it? What are we doing with it now? And, and th- this is huge. What are we doing with our successes? We are owning it. And as a nation, we are rejecting any idea that God had anything to do with the success that we've enjoyed. We're claiming it as our hard work, our big brains, our own greatness that has made America great. We say, let's make America great again, but we won't turn to God and seek forgiveness for our sins. You remember that part where they said these things have been endowed by our creator and we are going to pursue God. We are going to, to impart, we're going to risk our lives to put in a government that will only work if the people are moral and pursuing and following God. And, and we've enjoyed great freedoms from that. But now we're rejecting their creator, the one who enabled and guided us from the very beginning. We're twisting science to give us explanations around God. We're taking the scientific facts and evidence and we're, we're picking and choosing what we want to say something that makes sense. Evolution has been debunked over and over again. is not making sense. Scientifically, it doesn't add up. What Darwin said, is, he even said himself, if this, this, and this happen, it's out. We heard the Darwinian theory and we loved it. We attached it to it because we could reject God and do our own thing. And, and, and then once we hear new science that says, eh, this doesn't really work, we're not listening because we've already got what we want. You know, we are trying to make our own new gospel. The gospel that says, do your best, be a good person, work hard to follow a good set of morals, and God will love you for it. You are a great and capable person. Make your goals, set your plan, go and achieve it, and be proud of your work. Earn it. If you don't have it, go and get it. If you don't like something, then it's bad. You have to do what is good for you. Go and get it. You do it. This is called the American gospel. It has, it has become such a thing here in America. that There's a, a video link called The American Gospel. It's about an hour long, and I, I put the link in the, in the bulletin and in the app so you can watch it. But it, it's describing what we've done with Christianity in America, how we've twisted it, how we've taken the things that sound good to us and, and taking that. It's not necessarily about what does God say, what has God said, but... What do we want it to say? And one of the things that we, we are stuck to is, is God ought to bless us and do good things for us. So we're trading the truth for a lie. This isn't the gospel of Jesus running through our veins. Our veins and there's no freedom without Jesus. 
I, I'm rolling through this quickly. I, I want to stop for a moment and bring something up and, and make it clear that I'm not judging here. I'm just pointing out the similarities to this and to our country is as they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator themselves. The vineyard, the thing that God has given us, the, ba- the powers, the abilities, the successes, those are ours. Those are the things we're going to pursue. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. And the men, same thing. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. And at the very end, worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. The similarities here to what we're seeing, it's, it's hard not to acknowledge that this is going on. And we've become so dull to respond to something like this, and we respond to it with, well, to each his own. And, you know, perhaps as we should, as Abraham Lincoln said, this doesn't make sense to me, but let me judge not so that we ought not to be judged. You know, great, do that, but don't let go of what is true. Don't let go of what we know is self-evident. Don't let go of the power of God that has done so much to shape our world. Let's protect our babies who can't fight for themselves. Protect our children by sharing the truth with them. We don't want to lie to our kids so that someone who makes a choice can feel good about their choice. This is where the gospel has been lost. We have no backbone for stand, to stand for the truth or even claim a truth. We aren't willing to stand up for what we know is right. You know, why wouldn't we hold firmly to the gospel that has done so much for this country and us if we have, if us, if we have lived it? We ought to hold firmly, but have charity towards others. This isn't happening, and it's creating a lot of confusion. So here we go. We aren't teaching it to our kids. And they are confused. I was confused. I heard the gospel and believed the gospel when I was six. I heard a guy tell it to me, and I bought it totally for sure. But then as I got older, I got really confused. I found each person amazing, wonderful, unique. I loved them. I loved hanging out with them. But I also saw that they, weren't, they were claiming Christianity. They were Christians, but they, they had a different gospel. I... I was really weird. So I started to figure out that, I started to figure that, yeah, most people, they're going to heaven. They're good people. And I began to determine that the discontinuity, the, the, incongru- <laughs> the incongruity was with the Bible and not with us. We were, we were taking it and making it real. That's what I was beginning to determine. I said, okay, that must be the deal. The metamorphosis is when it goes from the Bible to reality, there's a change. So now I was the one twisting the Bible. And my life began to change. I was leaving room for the gospel to change and affect, and then I was starting to shift towards immorality, fast living, selfish ambition, using people, leaving them in the dust. I was, I was having a great time, but I was empty and miserable on the inside. But I could really cover that up. You know, I was a, I was a skydiver. I was, I was about to graduate with a master's degree in, in engineering, and I was just having so much fun. I had, a, I had an amazing girlfriend at the time, and, and we were just 
we were going. We had our whole lives ahead of us. But, but I was miserable. In my life, it looked like this. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, selfish ambition, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. You know, if somebody was getting in the way of what I wanted to do, get out of my way. We're gonna, I'm going to fight for what I want to do. I'm going to fight for, for myself. And if anybody wasn't in line with that, you're out. Jealousy. Oh, that guy's doing really good. Oh, I better, I better push a little harder and get a little bit better. You know, I got, I got third at nationals in, uh, in a skydiving competition, amateur. And, um, and man, I should have beat those two guys. Those guys aren't as good as I am. I, selfish ambition. It was tearing me up inside, and I was miserable. But finally, I said, no more. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. This is crazy. It is so dumb for me to be ignoring God and making it up for myself, if that's real. Look what it's doing to me. So I opened up the Bible. That's all I knew how to do. I had this shiny, funny Bible from when I was, I think I was 12 when I got it. But, and I just started reading it. And because I wanted to find out if the power and the love was really there, if there was a different way really possible, I wanted to find it. And, and you know what I found out? It is possible. It is. It is life-changing. So it was time for me to stop twisting the gospel. It was time for me to find the real gospel and start straightening it out in my life. And in this verse, God was just screaming to me. He says, you know, I said, I'm rich. I got everything I want. I have a future. I've got, I've got so much stuff, and I'm so good at so many things. I'm great. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing, but I didn't realize that I was wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked, and then all of a sudden, I did. <laughs> he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. This was the shift for me. Be diligent to turn from your indifference because God is standing at the door and knocking so that he can come in and we can share a meal as friends. He was saying this to me, but here at the end, he says, I'm saying this to the churches. I am saying this to the people who claim they have it and know it. I am saying this to the people who are claiming to be Christians but have twisted the gospel, have their own gospel that has no power in it, no power of freedom in it. And so as, as, we, as I made the shift, this huge shift, it became not about me. It became about projecting Jesus. As I learned about him, as I pursued him and saw that his life, here on earth was, was a sacrificial one for me. And he says, do it that way. And so I started to straighten things out here. So put to death all the sinful, ugly nonsense that's in there. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Kelsey and I, we were together and we were like, oh, oh this isn't right. So we just stopped it because we had a desire to, we weren't indifferent. We weren't indifferent. We wanted the real deal. Sorry, I get too excited that the change and the, the love and just everything that got taken away is, I want that for everyone. We get back to it. Not being greedy, no longer pursuing fame, no longer pursuing number one, but pursuing a totally different deal. Wow, there it was. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming because God is a judge this had to be straightened out in my life as well. My heart, my mind. God takes no pleasure in wickedness. 
He cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked, so the proud will not stand in his presence. For he hates all who do evil. He will destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. And then five verses later, God is Savior. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy, straightening the gospel out. God is judge. God is Savior. We have been given life. We have forgiveness in Jesus. We have freedom from sin if we would believe, if we would receive it, accept it. Pastuo is the Greek word they, they use there. And, um, and the Strong's definition, is, it is a belief that impels you. An impeller is something that's in a jet ski. An impeller is what drives a jet ski and makes it move. You can't see the impeller, but you see the jet ski move. We couldn't see what was driving the founding fathers. We can't see what was driving the leaders and the individuals as they made huge moves to follow and obey and and project God through the creation, through the birth, through the development of this country. But we could see the the results. Pastuo. If we do this, our lives will reflect the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Colossus of Clout. That's Babe Ruth, but I stole it. The creator of the universe, and we will be righteous in God's eyes, and God will be our boss. God's the boss. Each of my kids has a Bible verse that they keep. And, and Jack and Zoe have Bible verses about fear. And one of Jack's is when he comes to me in the middle of the night to wake me up because I don't want to get out of bed, I've given him a Bible verse and I send him off, tell him I'll pray for you. And, and this is Jack's Bible verse for the middle of the night when he's afraid. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. God is the boss. The book Miss Dion was showing earlier that they're going to start going over in their group about the lead singer of Skillet. Uh, what a crazy deal. In the middle of the night, he was five years old, and he was in his room by himself, and he decided, God, you're the boss. And he meant it. And what a crazy deal. The, the, the resulting life and action and motive that happened after that as he acted out the gospel where God is the boss. When God becomes the boss and we start projecting and showing Jesus' life, it's not about our lives. We lay our lives down as Jesus laid his down. If we want to be his follower, as the founding fathers did, as, as many through history have always wanted to do, we don't try to hang on to our lives because we'll lose it. But as we give up our life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, you will save it. And there is in the end, when we try to keep the law, when we try to take it and make it our own by following our set of morals, we, we screw it up. We die to the law. We can't meet its requirements Our old self gets crucified. We reject our old self, and we now project Jesus, not some perfect image that we are capable of, because we are not. It's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. So our lives are meant to be just an image of God. 
not of us. We are meant to be the projectors. We are meant to, I'm going to skip down to Philippians 2, Mr. Jerry. We are meant to work hard to show the results of our salvation as we project Jesus. As we work hard to show the results of our salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. We are those projectors. We stop complaining and arguing and we shine like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people holding firmly to the word of life. And we will rejoice even if we lose our lives. It's not about our lives. And Paul here who wrote this, he wants all of you to share in that joy. I want all of you to share in that joy. So we ought to stop complaining and arguing and go and share the gospel as we act it out as Jesus would as parents, as spouses, co-workers, as servants, as coaches. And, and share the truth every opportunity we get Warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. Always be joyful, never stop praying, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is where we win it, right here. We take the gospel, we believe the gospel, and we spread and share the gospel. We teach it to our kids so that they can know also Most of them don't get anything other than evolution and other scientific stuff that has been debunked in school, and I just don't understand. So we have this hope. We have this thankfulness in the promise of the gospel, not in our abilities to make life good. So we want that to come into our lives We want God to turn us from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity from that to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. So, has the gospel spread to America, to the Western culture? Absolutely it did. It drove us, it protected us, it guided us. And what have we done with it? Have we started to take it and make it our own and, tr- and, and twisting it to fit us? Do we see a commitment to its preservation? Are we holding firm in our action, in our speech, in our minds, in our hearts? Do we have a commitment to telling the world with the, our lives, with our words, and with our love? According to, by what you see in the world, what do you think the answer is to those? By what you see in your own life, what do you see there? Are you twisting the gospel or is the, or is the true gospel running free in your heart? I wonder, and I am so thankful for that moment of this isn't it if it's real. I want to untwist it. I want to find it. I want to see what it looks like. The revival, the change that happened in my life, the different life my kids have, the different life I'm able to live, whether I live or die, is something that we can't touch without God. That freedom is something God has enabled for our whole country. And we may or may not, we, we aren't hanging on to that at all right now. But as an individual, we can. As an individual, we can make a change. And, and that will, that's a projector. It will change the look of a whole room, of our whole world, those who see it and are around us. How cool is that? I am certain that 
the little revivals that we have with our kids and with those that we interact with will change and save lives as the gospel continues to spread through Western culture. Maybe in small, tiny, little sects, but every little person that hears it, every big person that hears it, it changes their life for eternity. No, God's not done with us yet. All right, pray with me, please, and thank you for staying. Dear God, you are so amazing and wonderful and great. Forgive us, forgive me for rejecting and going and doing my own ways and continue to instruct and direct me and may we all be diligent in turning from our ways, hearing your ways and wanting to be on your side, not justifying you being on our side because it's your side that we want to be on. Thank you so much for this day, this time that we've had, and everything that you have given us. It all comes from you. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Really great and fun. So thanks again. See you all later.